welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from October 31st, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder confronts the lie that our freedom means that there is no longer right, wrong, or rules for us. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. A Scandinavian heiress, so an heiress from one of the Scandinavian countries, recently uh, made waves when she published her thoughts on uh, freedom. So uh, she made quite a splash. She let her thoughts on freedom be known, and it really did make a huge splash. And I think for many of us, her thoughts on freedom reflect our thoughts on freedom. Uh, Here's what she said that made such a splash. No right, no wrong, No rules for me, I'm free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Let it go, let it go. Now, I think I've seen Frozen. I don't know. But here's a concern I have, is that when we start talking about freedom... There's two responses or reactions that we have when it comes to freedom. One of them is what what Elsa just said. That's what we think freedom is, right? Right? What is it? No right, no wrong. All right? No limits. No rules for me. I'm free. So if if you're coming in and saying, I got rules for you, you are invading my freedom, and that's not okay. All right? And there's there's two reactions to the invitation of freedom. One of them is I'm afraid of freedom. All right, so Luke, I think, reads more than I do. Uh, and I know, right? I'm like, how did you read that? How do you know? Like, I'll quote something to him. He's like, well, actually, I, I'm like, hey, did you know I Am Legend ends like this? And he's like, well, actually, I read the book and it doesn't. I'm like, oh my gosh. Whoa. How do, so anyway, I don't know how he has the time to do this. But Luke was telling me he read The Revenant and in the Revenant, uh, you know, it's, it's a 1700s explorer, and, and they're, they're drawing maps of the New World. And in the areas where they haven't yet, like, charted, they would just draw monsters, right? That's fear of freedom. It's not like, hey, look, it's a brave new world. Let's go explore. It's like, hey, we haven't been there. There's monsters, all right? <laughs> That's how some of us respond to the invitation of freedom. What? what? I, I, if I do whatever I want... Wouldn't that be, like, awful and bad? Like, that's scary, right? I don't know what I want. And if I live into what I want, that's, like, really terrifying. That's one response to freedom. The other response to freedom is I'm sick of freedom. Like, what? Sick of freedom? How in the world could anyone be sick of freedom? I think we're living in an age where we are all living in just being sick of freedom, 2013, director Martin Scorsese directed a film called The Wolf of Wall Street. And before we talk about Wolf of Wall Street, I'm just going to say, if you leave here today and go watch Wolf of Wall Street, because Pastor Craig talked about in church, you missed the point, do not blame me if you go watch that movie. I am not endorsing The Wolf of Wall Street, okay? I never say this. I never, we all have different consciences, we all have different guides, but I'm almost, I'm not going to say it so I can say I've never said this. I'm almost going to say, don't watch The Wolf of Wall Street, okay? Because, and if you have watched it, no judgment, no shame, all right? But, but 
I do not want anybody being like, I watched that movie and Pastor Greg, I haven't seen it. I'm not endorsing it, all right? Okay, are we clear? So let's just, we'll just do a little exercise. Yes or no, am I saying you should watch The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes or no? Okay, who said that? Get out! Just kidding, don't do that. All right. But the Wolf of Wall Street is, is about the Wolf of Wall Street, a real-life broker. Uh, his name is, uh, his last name is Belfort. He's a real human being who in the 80s, um, I think, I don't understand anything about Wall Street, but I think he was doing was he was mixing good stocks with bad stocks and selling them to people and just taking their money, ripping them off, and living in wild excess, okay? So the film, when it first came out, people called it like, wait a second, like, this movie celebrates excess. This movie, like, what in the world? Like, film critics were like, this movie has no criticism on the corporate greed, on the dehumanizing that went along with all of that. What in the world? And critics were just, like, totally ripping the movie to shreds. And then... I mean, look, the movie's three hours long. That's excessive. And then there, again, this is, again, Pastor Craig not telling you to watch this. There's an average of 3.4 F-bombs a minute in the movie, okay? So it is just a, and then every, every kind of immorality is just, right, all over the place, okay? It is just, and like critics were like, what is this movie? It is like celebrating excess, Scorsese, though, who directed the film, is a devout Catholic. And after, after, uh, so I don't know how he's, that's between, he's got to reconcile his faith in making this movie. But, but, after some of the dust settled from the criticism, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who plays Belfort, made this statement, and it gives us a peek into what the movie's really trying to do. DiCaprio said this, Belfort is something that seems to be a part of American culture. So this Wolf of Wall Street, who's just greedy, he seems to be representing something of us. Look at young people, and that's how you know Leo's old, right? Look at the young people, right? Look at young people and what the American dream means to them. It's, it's all about accumulating more, uh, doing what is best for you in spite of how it affects anyone else. So here's what some film critics think Scorsese was trying to do in the movie. A lot of people said, a lot of moviegoers said when they were coming out of the theater, after watching so much drug use, so much immorality, they said they had a visceral reaction and they could feel getting sick. And I wonder if that's what Scorsese is doing. He's calling out our hypocrisy. Right? We're like, can you believe this Belfort guy? But in the privacy of our own homes, we indulge in the same thing he was doing. And Scorsese says, you want freedom? I'll give you freedom till you're sick. There's, what, is, what does Elsa say? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. That's how Belfort lived. He celebrated that lifestyle. He's in jail at the end of the film, which I, again, didn't see and not endorsing you to see. And he's talking about how can he rip people off and make, the greed didn't go away even though he's locked behind bars. There's no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Paul of Tarsus would actually say that's slavery, the slavery of freedom. We live in a moment where we have so much freedom and 
anybody who tries to rein in on that freedom is seen as oppressive. Don't tell me to do anything. I can come up with my own identity. I can live how I want. I can feel how I want. And if you say anything about that, you're invading my freedom and you're oppressive. And so then when we get this invitation from Scripture where Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set us free, we have one of two reactions. We're either like scared, there's monsters outside the map, what is Paul inviting us to? But also some of us are like, I actually don't need any freedom. I have run the freedom train to the end of the station and there's no pot of gold at the train station where they leave gold. Uh, there's an angel investor. His name is Naval Ravikant. And he talks about in our moment, think about, think about the pathologies we have in our moment. Obesity, type 2 diabetes, phone addiction, internet addiction, gambling addiction. This, these are the casualties of freedom. No rules, and we just... And it's exhausting. And it's slavery. And so Paul is presenting the gospel as good news for people who are under the slavery of freedom. The freedom that Christ offers is not simply freedom from, it's also freedom to. The gospel doesn't just set us free from sin, legalism, performance. The gospel doesn't just, it does free us from, but it also frees us to love, hope, freedom in suffering for others. And here's what Paul's saying in our passage today. If we just, if we just preach freedom from, and don't receive freedom too, we are in great danger of sliding back into slavery. If the gospel is just freedom from and not freedom to, we are in great danger of sliding back either into the tyranny of performance, I've got to do this, or into the tyranny of sin. Right? I can do whatever I want. No right, no wrong, no rules. For me, I'm free. Both are slavery. And the gospel frees us from both of those. The great G.K. Chesterton. You need more Chesterton quotes in your life. The guy who, Twitter was made for G.K. Chesterton. It's a shame he died like 100 years before it came out. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This morning, Paul is saying, hey, we want to rescue you not only in the freedom from, but freedom to, and I'm going to set expectations today. It's, a, it's, it's, it's hard. It's a battle. Living in freedom is really difficult. Or as Cornell West says, we don't know how to be free. We have no idea how to be free. No idea. It's difficult. 
And Paul, as we set off on this journey, because he's, he's transitioning, chapter 5 is where he finally gets to the point, okay? And we say that as Americans. Chapters 1 and 2, he's telling his story. Hey, this, the, the, what the Judaizers are saying, folks, doesn't match up with my experience. And he plays the expert card. He's like, I've met Jesus, all right? I got a thing or two to say about life with Jesus. Here's my story and how they're, they're trying to rein in and saying, hey, you need to obey the law. That doesn't match up with how I met Jesus. That's chapters 1 and 2. Then chapter 3 and 4, he goes, hey, it doesn't also line up with the Bible. And now, finally, he's like, here's what I have to say. And he starts out by saying, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And a lot of us go, yeah, what? Like, uh, okay, I, I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. I don't feel free. Like, I don't. Like, you know, Jesus made all these statements, right? I, I, I heard, I wrote, I wrote some of them down. He said to the woman at the well, if you believe in me, rivers of life will flow out from you. You'll never thirst. Well, guess what? I believe in Jesus. I'm thirsty. All right? This, I believe my experience doesn't seem to match up with what's being said. And so Paul says, hey, let's set some expectations. Here's what he's saying. Life is hard. You, you're going to live under, life is hard. You can either live under the hard yoke of absolute freedom. And it's, it's a hard yoke. Or you can live under the hard yoke of freedom in the kingdom of God. And that's a freedom where we're free to love and sacrifice. And if we, don't, if we don't say, hey, the gospel isn't just freed from, it's freed to, we're setting people up for failure. Cheap grace. You're free. Have a nice day. We'll see you when the roll is called up yonder. What do I do in between now and then? I don't know, just be free. Good luck. Paul's saying we need to, we need to see what does the gospel free us to? What's the beautiful life Jesus is inviting us into? And how is that freedom? And what do I do when I, my experience doesn't match up with that? We're going to talk about that. He's going to talk. That's all chapter five. This is a two-part miniseries, all right? Part one is this week. What are we freed to? Part two is now how in the world do we actually live that out? Paul, but Paul is trying to invite us into the freedom of life under God's loving rule. So, if you have a Bible, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The lie Paul is confronting. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Galatians chapter 5. All right. We're going to be verses 1 through 12. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. It's a scary sentence. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And then literally the, the dirtiest joke that Paul tells in the New Testament, it's uncomfortable, but we're going to unpack it, all right? You're all going to read it back. What is he? Hang on there. We're going to unpack it. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Father, Father, we want to we own and live in the mantra that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God, it doesn't always match our experience, Lord. We don't always feel free. Sometimes when we come to Christ, it actually, we feel more stuck. We, we're more aware of the struggle. So, Father, help us, to, help us to see you in the struggle. Where are you? Who are you? What are you doing? Father, help us to, to see your heart for us and that we really would embrace freedom this morning. God, many of us, in the quietness of our hearts, if we could, we would be saying, like, I'm not free. I don't feel free. God, I pray for, for those of us today who don't feel free, that today would be a day we find freedom. Find freedom from the slavery of freedom and find freedom from the slavery of our flesh. Father, set us free today. We ask these things that your spirit would do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Managing expectations. Managing expectations is a super important skill in life. Managing expectations. If you can manage people's expectations, you will avoid so many problems down the road. When I was a kid, my dad did not manage my expectations for an event that has become like the butt of every Thanksgiving family joke, all right? Here's the, here's the punchline, and I'll, I'll get you there. My dad drove us for almost three hours through like a human wasteland to go to Rainforest Cafe, and when we got there, it was closed, okay? Let me tell you the story. Let's work to that punchline. It's a Saturday morning, much like today. The sky is gray, all right, in New Hampshire, all right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's cold, it's gray. I'm up early. I'm like 11 years old. I'm playing with my older sister. We're just hanging out, right? And my dad comes into the room and says, get in the car. I've not had breakfast yet. I have no idea why my dad is telling me to get in the car. Hop in the car. Why? Don't worry about it. Okay. In my 11-year-old mind, I'm like, oh, we're probably going to get Dunkin' Donuts, right? Dunkin' Donuts, right? We get in the car. We go past my grandparents' house. Hmm. I don't know where, where are we going, right? We go past several Dunkin' Donuts. We go past Manchester. We go past the Massachusetts border. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'm hungry, right? We go past Boston, right? I'm like really hungry at this point. Like, where are we going? Don't worry about it. We go into Western Massachusetts. If you've ever been to Western Massachusetts, 
It's exactly what you imagine it to be. It's just awful, right? We're in this awful space, right? And I'm like, where are we going? Don't worry about it. So we finally show up at this massive mall in the middle of nowhere to the Rainforest Cafe, and there's no cars in the parking lot, all right? And we get out of the car, and we... The door's locked. Now, has anyone in here actually been to the Rainforest Cafe? Okay. Hey, can I get a witness? It's a mediocre chain, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Like, we, we, we drove by Olive Gardens, we drove by Denny's to get to the, like, basically it's Denny's with, like, misters, and there's, like, plastic frogs on the wall, all right? <laughs> and so we get there, and he's like, oh, this was the surprise. What, did you call to see if they're open? No. What? Now, we joke about it. My dad has a great sense of humor. You know, my dad's the kind of guy who's never met a stranger. He, he's, he would love that I'm telling this story, Okay. We ended up driving back to Boston and getting lunch at Legal Seafoods, all right? That's how long this little journey took. What would have, if my dad had simply just helped manage expectations, if he had simply said, kids, I'm going to take you to a special breakfast. It's off the beaten path. It's unusual. Grab some goldfish and a book, all right? Because <laughs> we're going on a journey, all right? Come on, Frodo. Let's go to Rainforest Cafe, right? I mean, I don't know if I would have been cool, right? I'm 11. I still probably, are we there yet, right? But managing expectations. That's exactly what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 5. He starts chapter 5 with this mantra, which some, which some theologians think was a mantra in the early church. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Great. Then we get two verbs. All right, so we get this great message, and then there's two verbs. And what Paul is trying to say is, it's a long drive to the Rainforest Cafe. Hold on. What are the two verbs? It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. So what? Stand firm. That's verb number one. Why do you tell someone to stand firm? If something is easy, all right, do you tell someone, stand firm? If you... If you've been to the beach, I don't know, right? There's no beaches in Missouri, but if you've been to the beach, right? Does someone say, hey, you're going to have to work really hard to sit on this chair that's really comfortable in the shade reading a book by the ocean. Just stand firm, all right? No, you say stand firm because something hard is coming, right? And Paul's saying stand firm. But what's the context of that hard thing? It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. He's saying this, we're free people, we're free people, stand firm. Life is not going to be giving you the messages that you're a free person. If you're a parent and you're like, man, I'm working really hard to like, I've received this freedom and this gift from Jesus. I want to model that for my kids. And one of my kids just pulled my hair and the other kid just hit a stranger in the leg really hard. I don't feel like a free person. I feel like an angry person, right? Or, or, or think about people we work with. You know, you care about your job, you're trying to do really great, and you have a coworker who, let's just say when the robots come and take their jobs, you're going to be, like, take, take theirs. Like, we don't need them. They're fine, all right? You work really hard. They just somehow find all these ways to, like, sabotage everything you're doing. They create office drama. You're like, man, I, I feel really frustrated. So I believe I'm a free person. My kids bring out so much ugliness in my heart. Right? If I'm a free person, why do I struggle being patient with people I love? Oh, right? Oh, man, I'm a free person. Why do I have a hard time modeling that freedom in the office? I just want to scream at these people. Right? 
I don't feel very free. Paul's saying we need to remind ourselves that message right there, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the heart of the Christian faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? It simply just means this. Christ has done for me what I could not do for myself. What's it mean to be a Christian? It means Christ did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Look at that sentence. It is for freedom that who set us free? Christ. I didn't set me free. Christ did for me what I could never do for myself. And also, English teachers, you're welcome. That's past tense. It doesn't say it's for freedom that Christ will set us free. He already has set us free. That's a reality. That's true. So whether you're struggling with patience or whether you're struggling not to go postal at work, you're a free person. Whether you feel it or not. Don't go postal at work, too. Don't watch Wolf of Wall Street. Don't go postal at work. I saw some of your faces. Not endorsing that. All right? We're free people. And the messages both coming from internally, us, don't declare that. And the, the, what the, those messages come from is called the flesh. That's next week. We're going to talk about, well, how do, we, how do we wrestle with and deal with the flesh? You've got to come back next week. Bring a friend. All right? But right now, what Paul is trying to say is this. It's not natural. No one is going to say, yeah, you're free. That's not the natural movement of the, our, both our inner critic and the experiences we have. So stand firm. Fight to make sure you're free, right? Why? Another verb. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't submit yourselves to slavery again. In every liberation movement, in every liberation movement, from Moses to Martin Luther King Jr., in every liberation movement, the oppressor has never let the oppressed go without a fight. In every liberation movement, from Moses to Martin Luther King Jr., the oppressor has never let the oppressed go without a fight. Paul is saying, fight. You are free. Fight for it. He's setting expectations. It's going to be hard. Stand firm. And again, what's so important about that, what's so important is he wants us to, to he's trying to, again, set the expectations. We're going to the Rainforest Cafe. But he's also trying to say, we need to really not misidentify God in this fight. It can feel like, hey, before I knew God, I didn't have any of these struggles. Right? Like, I, you know, I was a great dad. Now I feel like after I, show, I met Jesus, I'm like just so aware of how impatient I am and how unloving I am. Is God the liberator or is God the oppressor? Right? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Is God the liberator or the oppressor? Paul's saying this. That kind of persuasion. What kind of persuasion? Well, from verse 7. Saying, hey, you need to, you need to get circumcised. You need, to, you need to earn God's favor. Then you can really get off to the races. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Paul is saying, don't misidentify God in this struggle. He is not the oppressor. He is not 
dropping his hand on you to make it so hard and to always just keep pointing out, man, here's how I'm impatient to just put a weight on you. God is the liberator. He's the one who calls you. He's the one who sets you free. And, and our flesh, us, that's the oppressor. We're being freed from that part of us that goes in on itself and it's hard work. Stand firm. Paul's trying to set the expectation for it, and he's also trying to say you need to really remind yourself who God is. There's so many echoes back to Galatians chapter 1. Here's what it says. Uh, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, this is 1-3, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. God is the liberator in this battle. We can turn him into the oppressor. Well, man, after I trusted Jesus, after I said yes to God, after I'm trying to to obey God, I'm just so aware, like, you know, before, like, I didn't feel bad about this stuff. Now I feel awful about this. What's going on? God, are you really harsh? No, no, no. He's not there putting this spirit of guilt and condemnation on you. He's the one setting you free, rescuing you, calling you out from that. And it's so easy to be like, God, you're the bad guy. And Paul's saying that, that persuasion does not come from God. Where does it come from? Next week. That's the flesh. But he's really trying to manage our expectations. We can't be thinking that. And again, that's hard. It takes work to believe this. Right? Stand firm. We need to remind ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian? What's the heart of our faith? Christ has done for me what I could never do for myself. What is that? that? He set me free. Well, I don't feel free. And now the battle becomes aligning our hearts and our souls back to that. And Paul talks about that. How do we align that? He describes it in verse 6. He says this, In Christ, neither uh, circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the only value is faith. Faith. Believing I've been set free. Christ has done for me what I could never do for myself is faith. That's what matters. That's the heart of our Christian experience is trusting what God says about me and my experience, not trusting what I say about me and my experience. Faith. And how does that faith show itself? Verse 6, through love. Many people, there's an old cliche. Many people ask, what's God's address? The end of your rope. Where do you find God? What's his address? The end of your rope. God brings us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our effort, and he meets us there. That's exactly what Paul says in verse 2. Mark my words. I, my, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Here's what he's saying. Jesus plus earning God's favor through the law equals nothing. Jesus, so trusting Jesus, plus, well, I, I, I really, I need to obey to get God's favor, equals nothing. It's of no value. He brings us to the end of ourselves so we can trust. 
Keep in mind, he is not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians. We don't just trust Jesus once, come to the end of ourselves once. I had an experience once where I trusted Jesus. Now I got to get busy earning God's approval through works. Right? No. We trust Jesus and the rest of our lives is faith working itself out through love. Please don't misunderstand me. God is not opposed, God is not opposed to effort. That's verse 1. Stand firm. There's effort involved in that. God is opposed to earning. God is not opposed to effort, but he is opposed to earning. That's what this whole conversation about circumcision is about. The Galatian church, they were Gentiles, all right? Gentiles would have not known the Jewish Torah, and so they would have needed to be baptized into Torah-keeping. That baptism ritual was circumcision. That was the sign for Gentile believers, like, hey, I want to keep the law, I'm submitting to the law, so the men are going to be circumcised. And you're like, well, why? It's because what, what, it's a mark that people bear, and it's saying, in the most private part of my life, I'm surrendering and submitting that to God. And the Judaizers had come in and said to these Galatian believers, hey, do you really want to please God? Do you want to obey him? He told you, you got to keep law. You got to keep Torah. If you're not doing these things, plus trusting Jesus, whew, man, you can't, you can't please God. And they go, okay. And Paul, Paul does not mince words. He says, mark my words, I, Paul, all right, the book of Galatians was written by what's called an amanuensis. Most of Paul's letters were, probably all of them. Uh, it's a scribe. Right, when you get into like seminary, it's like, let's use a big word for a little word. A scribe. And you can picture Paul being like, get out of the way. I, Paul, I'm, I'm saying this now, right? This is a really big deal, right? Don't miss this. I, I said this myself, right? If you, if you say, yeah, we trust Jesus and Christ is of no value to you. You don't need him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God's address is the end of our rope, and it's hard to get there. We don't like being there. I certainly don't like being there. Look, I wish I could tell you, the reason I'm up here talking to you is because I've mastered all this. But just ask people I live with. That is not the case. I do not like being at the end of my rope. I do not like asking for help. Winter is coming, all right? I hate winter. Like, you know, I, I, I even hate this time of year, all right? I'm not a curmudgeon. I'm a very joyful person. But like, let's just be honest. The sky is gray, and it's going to be gray for the next six months, and then the, the leaves are going to die. And so just a gray sky with sticks sticking out of the ground. And you're like, isn't that beautiful? No. What's wrong with you? No. And then it's going to snow. It's going to get worse before it gets better, all right? But I'm from New Hampshire, and so people assume, oh, man, you're like this winter wonderland person, right? And so what happens, though, and I let people do this, okay? People are like, Craig is probably so good at driving in the snow in the winter. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, right? But it's just like a pride thing, right? And so here's what happened. A few years ago, like 10 years ago, we're visiting Columbia, and my mother-in-law uh, lived over on Katy, and th there's a big hill over there, and one of her friends got stuck. So I'm hanging out with my brother-in-law, who's from Florida, Okay. No one thinks he's good with the winter, all right? And he doesn't think that either, all right? And so they're like, hey, Craig and Josh, why don't you help our friend move their car? Well, not Josh, you can come, but really Craig, right? Hey, 
Yay! Nobody ever asks for my help. This is fantastic. I get to show that I'm helpful, right? And I did. I got her out. You know, and honestly, she was making some noob mistakes, right? Like she was just like gunning it in the snow. I'm like, no, no, no. You want to put it in a lower gear? Let's get some momentum. I'll push it, and you gotta keep going up the slope. Okay, now go. You know, and it was great. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, Craig, like you're so good at driving in the winter. I'm like, I know, I know, it's fine. All right, fast forward a couple years, I'm living in Louisville, and our address is on Knob Hill. And the reason they called it Knob Hill is because it's like the real Knob Hill in San Francisco. It was crazy steep. So I'm driving my 2005 Civic Hybrid, known for its power. I go right off the driveway into uh, the woods, basically, okay? And I can't get it out, and it's super stuck, okay? I was getting a colonoscopy the next day, and I had already taken the medicine. So we're on like a, we're on a crunch here, right? <laughs> and so I'm digging and Amy's like, just call Aaron, our neighbor. He would love to help you. And I'm like, you're not, I, babe, I don't know if you know this. I'm from New Hampshire, okay? So like, I'm so good with winter stuff. I got it. I don't have a shovel. I, I have like, you know, my mittens and I'm like digging it out and I'm, there's brown stuff in it because I've dug through the earth and that car is not moving. It's getting worse and there's a hill, right? And I, I'm digging like this, too, right? Like, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I'm on like a crunch here, all right? I, four hours go by. I call Aaron. Hey, buddy. Want to hang out? Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, you know, like, my car's stuck, and could you help? Yeah, I'll be right over. So Aaron comes over, no tools, three seconds, whoop, 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 parks it, right? I go inside. Amy's like, oh, did Aaron help? A little, a little. I mean, kind of. I could have got it, but it was nice to have the extra help. Yeah. I don't like coming to the end of myself. I don't like saying, I can't do this. And I have a feeling I'm not alone. And the gospel message is that we want to live there. Christ has done for me what I could never do for myself, embracing helplessness, embracing our surrender. And when we do that, we find real freedom. See, the slavery of freedom, of just no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, it gets us stuck in thinking like, oh man, I got to go in alone and I got to have all the answers. But the gospel frees us to say, yeah, I, I, I'm not in this alone. I have no idea what I'm doing. Christ lives in me. It's this union with Christ. It's this relationship. And that's where real freedom is found. And it's a, it's a fight. But in that fight, we have to remember that God is the liberator, not the oppressor. God is the one who's called us. Christ is the one who set us free. Past tense. And so what, what Paul is getting at in verse 12, though, is this is a really big deal. And so I don't fully know what to do with this passage because Paul, look, if I were to say what Paul said at a business meeting here, I would probably get in trouble, all right? And I probably should get in trouble, right? Paul tells a very dirty joke, and it, it is a joke, right? And it's crass. And we're left like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. Here's my best shot in the dark of what I think Paul could be doing, all right? 
Look back with me. Verse 12, where he tells a joke, I wish people would emasculate, emasculate themselves. I wish they'd, they're starting with circumcision. I wish they'd just keep going, right? That's the joke, all right? Here's what I think Paul is doing. He's saying this. You were running a good race in verse 7. Who cut in on you? Right? So hear, hear that again? Same kind of joke. Who cut in on you? And he's saying, and they kept you from obeying the truth. So you've been deceived. And then he gives this proverbial statement. A little, in verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch. What is he, what's what he's saying? These Judaizers snuck in and they just changed something that sounds minor. It's like, why are we majoring on this, right? What, what they changed was, remember, God isn't against effort, but he's against earning. And the Judaizers are like, oh, tomato, tomato. It, God, God's fine with earning whatever gets you honoring him, Right? And it can sound like on the surface a very small shift. But Paul says, no, it's not a small shift. Verse 9, a little yeast. You don't need much yeast, all right? A little toxicity messes up a lot. And the yeast is not toxic, but they're saying like a little, if anybody, any bread makers out there, you don't, like you have this much dough and this much yeast, and then you have this much dough, right? It's amazing how much a little yeast can do. Paul's saying a little bit of toxicity can make this whole thing unhealthy, all right? This little lie that God actually doesn't have a problem with earning has veered you off course. It's stunted your growth. We don't, we're like, well, you know, I should just be precise. No, it's actually stopped you from running. It's stopped your growth. And, and what's happened is it changes our heart attitude for God. And Paul's saying this, I'm pushing the scribe out of the way. I'm writing this myself. And here's what I'm going to say. This is such a big deal. I, I hope these people would emasculate themselves. All right, let's pause for a second. Here's what he's saying. If you were to emasculate yourself, you would become sterile, and you cannot produce more offspring. I think that's part of the pun of what Paul is saying. These toxic people, I really wish that their toxicity would stop with them. All right, and that's, it's an echo back, I think, to what he says in 1.8. There's so many echoes of chapter 1 in chapter 5. Here's what he says in 1.8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Let him be anathema is the Greek word. Let him be cut off. All right? And here's what he's saying in 1.8. Kick him out of the community. All right? If people come in and preach another gospel, don't let them be in the community. Now he's saying if people come in and preach another gospel, man, we really hope that false gospel just stops with them. We, as a, what's the heartbeat of our faith? It's chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then how does that get lived out? It's verse 6. Faith, working hard to believe that, showing itself through love. You cannot earn and you cannot love at the same time. You cannot earn and you cannot love at the same time. How many of you have a loving relationship with your employers? You just feel deeply connected to them. You love them because they pay you. They give me this great paycheck every week, or not so great. That doesn't create love. They owed you that. You earned that. You showed up. You worked. They wrote you a check. That's not a loving relationship. But when we receive a gift, when someone gives themselves to us, that has the potential to create love. And Paul's saying, if these people come in and say, we need to earn, that false gospel just needs to stop with them. And he's willing to risk getting in trouble with church folks for telling dirty jokes at church because it's such a big deal. 
It's Paul obeying his own advice. Stand firm. He's drawing his own line in the sand saying, the gospel matters, your freedom matters, and we cannot ignore that. We need to fight for this. Not people. He's fighting ideas. That's my best take at what he's doing. But again, it's awkward. It's weird. If that's wrong, I can live with that. I think that's what he's saying. It's never a wise idea to enter like a 50-year-old fight with two of your heroes. All right? So I'm just saying that up front. All right? But about 50 years ago, two of my heroes got in a very public spat. Bob Dylan and John Lennon. It's like the late 70s, and allegedly, Dylan has a born-again experience. He allegedly meets Christ, and so he writes a gospel album, and on that gospel album, he uh, coins the lyrics to the song, Serve Somebody. Here's some of those lyrics. Uh, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Dylan is confronting the myth that freedom from exists. We all have to serve somebody. What are we freed to? All right? You're going to have to serve somebody. That was a terrible Dylan impersonation. Wasn't that bad, Troy? It was so bad. Dylan's friend, John Lennon, publicly had a problem, and they're buddies, all right, and they're friends. And so Lennon famously writes the song, Serve Yourself. Here's some of those lyrics. You say you found Jesus Christ. He's the only one. You say you found Buddha sitting in the sun. You say you found Muhammad facing to the east. You say you found Krishna dancing in the street. Well, there's something missing in this God Almighty stew, and it's your mother. Your mother. Don't forget your mother, lad. You've got to serve somebody. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. You've got to serve yourself, Ain't nobody going to do it for you. All right, so Lennon, who we love, his solo work is overrated. So are the Beatles. Um, but Lennon, who we love, says, no, 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 Dylan. Serve yourself. All right? Now, this is a 50-year-old fight. I'm not trying to join a 50-year-old fight. But if I were Bob Dylan, which I'm not, I would just say, yeah, John, that's what I'm saying. You got to serve somebody. You're not as free as you think you are. And you're saying that. You're saying serve yourself. Look, here's the thing. Life is hard. Period. All right? And you can either live and make your life hard because you're experiencing the heartache of being free. That you you get to do whatever you want with no regard to how others it, it affects others and you can experience the freedom that comes that, and it's a hard life. Following Jesus is also hard. It takes work to live in freedom, to trust that you're truly free when nothing around you is telling you that message. You just get to pick which hard life you want. Do you want the hard life that's trusting Jesus and is opening yourself up to others, faith working itself out through love? Or do you want the hard life where you're constantly turning in on yourself, where you're living in the claustrophobic confines of the kingdom of yourself? Which hard life do you want? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ has done for me 
what I could never do for myself. That's real freedom. Father, Father, whatever it is that's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus, whether it's our inner critic, whether it's the fear of freedom, whether it's the allure of sin, God, I pray that we would be people who would hear the invitation this morning, the invitation of experiencing the freedom that comes because your son did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that we are now not only freed from performance, freed from sin, but we are freed to love and sacrifice. And I pray you'd set us free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.